This is Julio Rodriguez, and this is the Lookout Landing Podcast. We're terrified about it. You're terrified about it. The players are terrified about it. Hence the acoustic air horn. Uh, we Which didn't was break also out. terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't want to break out the full air horn because we don't know if this season calls for that. Also, we don't have a real air horn noise. <laughs> we don't have any sort of soundboard or editing no um, foley. equipment. Yeah. So that was, that was uh, acapella air horn. But uh, the sentiment remains. Baseball... We'll start this week. We are recording on Tuesday. The Mariners are scheduled to play a real game that counts uh, on Friday. And so we're going to hit you with a little bit of a season preview, I guess. Um, today, it's the usual suspects. It's me, Matthew Robertson. Hello. Joined by Kate Prusser. Hello, Kate. Hello. Acapella Airhorns that played at my college. Oh, yeah. I like to see their early stuff, like when they were on college radio, was really good. And then they kind of lost their way. Yeah, I they thought. just got like, really the third album, it was Exactly. It's like, figure out who you are before you call Just Blaze. You know, <laughs> he should be the final touch, not the one who defines your whole sound. But anyway, uh, John, how's it going for you? John Troopin is here. <laughs> it's going well. I, did either of you run a college radio station? Because it's occurred to me that that seems right up both y'all's alleys for a very different vibe. My college didn't have I didn't a radio run the station. station. I had a talk show. I did not run the station. Oh my god. Of course did you have you people did. call in? No, 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 no. It was very similar to this where the technology was very limited. Mm. So it was mostly me just inviting my friends to the radio room and we would talk. John, there I'm still no, giving like, you credit for that answer, by the way. Thank you. And I still have eligibility, I think. If anyone wants <laughs> me to host a college radio show, I am available. <laughs> Yeah. Are you redshirted a season? I, I did. Yeah, I did. I had a throat injury that uh, I couldn't talk very well, so I decided to sit one out. You know, I didn't want to hurt the team, so oh. save my eligibility. And now I can come back and play. Dude, what is, like, is college radio even happening? Like, I'm sure they just buy, like, website domains rather than actual airspace on the radio. Yeah, I did not. We did not have at Lewis and Clark in portland we did not have an actual radio station regrettably i think that the school decided that was beyond their budget so we definitely were online exclusive so i I would imagine that may be the case for for folks elsewhere i don't know when i went to college we were still uh communicating via tin cans arranged with strings so edison really hadn't come out with any of his early technology yet (laughs) radio waves marconi years in the future so Okay, I feel like sort of the the hinterlands of Virginia are like the ideal place to develop sort of some sort of like under underground kind of radio scene. I feel like this is an opportunity that that Roanoke had had at at its disposal. Uh, there was like a little bit of a of an indie music scene there. I remember Dressy Bessie came and played at my college and. Uh, who I knew from the seminal movie, But I'm a Cheerleader, one of my favorites ever. Um, And I was like, what is Dressy Bessie doing at an all-women's college in Roanoke, Virginia? That's very weird. Uh, But, I mean, it was super exciting. 
was just also very weird. Um, <laughs> I love, I mean, I, I do miss sort of the early aughts when it was just, there was really not any kind of the internet presence that there is today. And, uh, you know, that was how bands got started is they went from grimy rathskeller to rathskeller <laughs> along the Eastern seaboard. <laughs> Oh, simpler times. That sounds cool, though. I feel like the internet has definitely done a lot of good, but also definitely done a lot of bad. And I don't even know if this is bad, but it would be much more fun, I think, to have, like, tastemakers again. You know what I mean? Like, where people could have, like, a a sway over what was popular. I mean, I also we call kind of those influencers, here, do we not? And yeah. they're horrible. So. I guess, yeah, not in that realm. I was talking more about... More about, like, uh, music-wise. I guess there is still, like, DJs and stuff. They just have much less clout, I guess, is the term for it. Yeah. Now we just go on Pitchfork and get upset <laughs> about what's... Yeah, that's that's actually a good summation. Like, the internet now just mostly makes us mad, and I don't think that's good for anyone. <laughs> no. No, I've been thinking... I think because we've been in quarantine for so long and I've been stuck in place for so long that I spend a lot of time thinking about like the times that were before this time that were a little more halcyon a little and I mean I'm sure I'm over idealizing them but the world is tough and scary now and so I think there's a strong um, reflex towards nostalgia right now and and thinking even the nostalgia of like say February of 2020 or yeah uh, before we were talking about that in the in our slack channel today how like um you know as we're gearing up for this new baseball season it does feel like the like january and february of 2020 were their own years and then from march on is i believe tim Kintu suggested calling it bce before covid era and uh, i mean it does feel like that right absolutely and it's weird, too, to do, like, baseball stuff because the timeline is usually so the same every year, you know? Like, you know that, yes. like, January and February will be pretty mellow and then spring training will start and then, like, April is like, okay, we're here again. But now that it's all flipped upside down, it's like we're trying to do our April stuff in the middle of summer and, like, my brain is having trouble computing that, you know? Like, it was hard for me to even register that it was June when there was no... NBA playoffs and no baseball going on so like what that's like my my tent pole for what yeah June is you know what I mean yeah. so I just everything feels like there's just like sunny days and then there's not sunny days that's the <laughs> only way I can determine the difference feels. between anything it was yeah. the weirdest one for me was realizing I read a tweet from I think Sam Dykstra maybe at MILB um he was like oh, today would have been the futures game and I was like oh my god that means it would have been all-star weekend like and it was just another weekend and it was so sad I that was one that really that was one that really got to me was um I think the missing of that individual benchmark like you said the kind of measuring stick high watermark of summer like knowing it feels like in baseball you're always kind of cresting up towards the all-star game and then you crest down across the back half of the season and so to have all the rhythm and regularity that I mean for me that's been a huge challenge personally too just like in structuring my days because I used to have a a pretty clear structure about like when I'd wake up I'd start checking for news we'd get some work done on the site there's downtime in the afternoon then we get our 
game thread up and then there's a game at night and I'm tweeting through it and it's like kind of a, a it's a it's a rhythm of the days um, and then there's an off day and that's like freedom and now every day was an off day and I had no idea how to structure my time and what I should be working on and what we could be working on and what felt responsible to be working on so it's been yeah. we're trying to get our stuff out the door that we usually do prior to the season starting um, you know the typical pieces we always write if it all goes right if it all goes wrong uh, I just realized though we haven't done our our Hale West preview series we usually do, um, which I guess I've got to get cracking on, especially because we've got some <laughs> new people to talk about this year. Uh, it's just it's such a weird thing overall. So we appreciate everybody sticking with us over this time. Uh, it's been weird for us too. Yeah, absolutely. I think too it it's fun to like well fun is definitely not the right word actually, but it's interesting to think about like all of the plans that we had like f- for lookout landing specifically. Like the whole uh the off-season plan was just to do for the podcast was to do like why I'm a Mariners fan, have guests come in and out whenever we could find someone and that would take us to spring training and then by then we'd be talking about real baseball again. And then obviously spring training got shut down and we were like, okay, what do we do next? And like we found a couple other people to just come on and talk about baseball with us. But then after those like dried up, it was really like, oh my God, what do we do? So thank you for everyone who stuck with us through that very weird time where we were trying to... Yeah talk about a thing that wasn't even when really we podcasted just because they're like it's been a couple weeks we should probably do a podcast <laughs> there's <laughs> right. nothing new to talk about so yeah so sorry for the weird schedule too as well as just the the lulls in content but we should be good now i mean should is the operative word obviously i have no idea what is going to happen i don't really want to think about what's going to happen to be totally honest i'm pretty but. surprised i mean i know that opening day is theoretically three days away or whatever um however many days it will be at the time people are listening to this um i do still have like a sense of i'll believe it when i see it about it because it just seems impossible i it seemed impossible for a long time and i think it's it's troubling for me still that like now we're just beginning to integrate the squads and so we had like the wave of initial intake testings and people who tested positive and had to be quarantined and I just is it going to be possible for us to go forward from this and just everyone's going to remain at the same level they were at I I mean I guess it feels more probable as we get closer and closer to it but I remember even just a few weeks ago sitting here and being like, there's no way they get, just feeling in my gut that there was no way they got through the season. And now I'm feeling more like maybe they will. I feel, yeah. I feel there's a strong possibility. This, there is actually a, a full, as in full 60 game season. Yeah, I think I'm cautiously optimistic. I still think it's probably a bad idea, but or that ship has kind of <laughs> sailed. Like they're, clear, sailed. they're clearly yeah. going to do it. So you might as well just, pretend like everything is fine i guess i don't know that's kind of like what podcasting is anyways just a lot of like oh yeah let's pretend that you know everything that we're talking about is super important and everyone needs to hear this right away so that's what we're doing today (laughs) folks (laughs) way to pull back the curtain matthew I mean, you really get like deep in your own head when you're talking into a microphone in an empty room and then later listening to it again while you're editing it. It's a very strange exercise in the human brain. But anywho, uh, so we're going to preview this season, the 60 game sprint, uh, if they make it that far. 
our idea for this was to each come up with three things that we're excited to watch. And as we know that this is a pretty hardcore group of Mariner fans who listen to this show, we didn't want it to just be like, I'm excited to watch Kyle Lewis. And I'm sorry if I stepped on one of your picks. But uh, the point was to try to get a little more granular, get hyper-specific, because we also didn't tell each other what our picks were. So the more specific, the less chance of overlap here. So, yeah, we each have three things. I guess it's kind of... Uh, fitting for baseball too we'll have nine total uh, so one inning for each of them and we'll try to mix in your twitter questions we did get a few so if your question overlaps with the thing that we're already talking about we'll try to shoehorn that in but uh yeah so i think we're ready if you guys have your stuff uh i think kate do you want to go first that is uh pressure pressure okay uh i'm ready uh, i'm gonna start with a place that it feels logical to start with our opening day starter, Marco Gonzalez. And the very specific thing I am excited to see about Marco Gonzalez is uh, I'm excited to see Marco get shelled one day and then go out <laughs> his next outing and just dominate because um, Marco is a competitor. And like we all know, like a pitcher like Marco Gonzalez is going to get shelled every so often. It's just going to happen. Like, he exists on such a razor thin line of like he has to have both his stuff and his command and if one of those things isn't there if he's facing a not so great team he you know will probably be able to cope and make it work but if he's facing a team like the Mariners will be playing a lot of this year that is the retooled angels the scary A's, the Astros of course always, the Dodgers uh, you know any of those guys uh, it could it could be bad. It could be bad for him. So what I appreciate about, about Marco is when he gets punched in the mouth, he always gets back up and with even more determination. I'm thinking about two years ago when he got shelled by the Royals in his first time facing them, and he was so mad about it. And when he faced the Royals the next time, he went out and threw a complete game, his first ever. And uh, that was such a special baseball moment to me. And it's something I appreciate about Marco. I mean, it's really easy to admire, like, the aces, the top guys. Jared Cole is otherworldly. I'm really glad we don't have to watch him as an Astro anymore, and I can just appreciate him from afar in pinstripes. But yeah, don't have I to think, face him all year. to me, it's even more incredible to watch somebody who works with less than otherworldly stuff, like, less than dominant stuff, who just goes out there and figures out a way to get things done and... Yeah, I am pretty excited about just being able to appreciate Jericho. So uh, that's what I that's what I'm looking forward to. One thing. That's a great pick. I think it'll be really fun to watch any of them try to bounce back from weird outings because you also have the like strangeness of not having fans. So like all of that adrenaline is just going to be like seething through them. Like you're going to see Marco like maybe doing the like push-ups in the dugout thing or something like that's just a ridiculous example obviously but like trying to get so hyped or like trying to go for revenge when there's no one screaming at you like it's just gonna be a very <laughs> odd sight <laughs> i wonder what they can do with the crowd noise to sort of like properly give marco the right level of intensity from moment to moment uh, I, i'm hoping that that could maybe be sort of metered out the right way just really get his adrenaline flowing get him really screaming up at, at George Springer <laughs> or something from a safe distance I hope they let the players like 
really hyper curate the music because there's going to be, I mean, like if you're a pitcher, like let's say you're Marco Gonzalez, right? You could just like have a different warm up song every inning. So like if he wants, like if he, you know, has nine songs that he really likes that get him excited, like then you could have those play like the during warm-ups of every inning and then that's also like oh that could motivate marco because he knows like oh my god my ninth inning song is so fire i need to get there i need to listen to that song so it's like an added incentive to throw a complete game when he knows that he has like his favorite song waiting for him that's just one idea that i had because like if you're not going to want to just be there in like weird white noise while you're warming up you know there's usually at least something going on they have like the weird scoreboard videos so like they should let the players take the reins for that i think Uh, do you mind if I go second, Matthew? Go second? I was going to defer to you anyway because I'm a gracious host. <laughs> you are. You're very kind. Uh, so what I'm most excited about, uh, hopefully uh, maybe mitigating some of those uh, potential Marco shellings and uh, sort of accentuating some of those dominant follow-up performances, uh, I am really looking forward to J.P. Crawford and Shed Long turning double plays. Um, so I I think that we we're all sort of in agreement we we feel good about JP Crawford defensively uh it's hard not to he's really looked solid and the Mariners have had varying degrees of quality uh defensively from the shortstop position in the uh post Brendan Ryan era and I I don't know that I'm willing to say yet that J.P. Crawford is the best defensive uh, shortstop they've had since then, but he has a very good chance of establishing himself as that, uh, as just that. Uh, and Yeah, definitely the most talented. Yes. Defensively. Yes. Yeah. And and he's looked, I mean, you know, just in this, in, in the restarted camp, uh, you know, his footwork has looked smooth. Um, his throws have looked consistent. I mean, that was a huge thing for him was he has this, you know, he has a strong enough arm to play every position. You know, if you put him back behind the plate, he would be a great catcher. But he has, you know, a lot of inconsistency with his with his uh, mechanics. And, and he's talked about improving with Perry Hill, with D. Gordon, um, and with his Tacoma teammate and now likely most day, if not every day, starter uh, teammate at second base, Shed Long, who similarly, um, you know, has a pretty strong arm, uh, is is quick, but is less of experience as a, as a middle infielder, but would be fabulous, especially if he and Crawford can sort of play off of one another, um, can turn a lot of double plays. There was just one play uh, during camp a few days ago where uh, Shed had a very, very nice, smooth sort of cover of second and really had a Cano-esque, like, fluid, looked like he was sort of sitting back in a lawn chair as he caught the ball and rotated to throw to first. And it was like, strong throw, right on the money, looked super easy, looked super comfortable, Um, you know, looked like a guy who has, like, practiced taking the right number of steps to get to the base um, a lot and um, which is I mean that's great like that's the whole point of this that's why these games matter is those turning those practices and those drills into instinct into second nature and it makes such a big difference when you have guys who get to grow up together doing that together you get to know okay 
I know what JP's throws look like when he goes to his right. I know what to prepare for. I mean, that mm-hmm. isn't something that we've had. You know, the, and, and it's not like that's the be-all, end-all. You can have, you know, you can put Gene Segura and, you know, Sean O'Malley out there, and they'll be fine because they're both good players. But, like, the so much of what makes this team exciting is getting to watch guys come up together and develop that sort of, yes, you know, interpersonal chemistry but also the like on field the on field chemistry which which you know is isn't always something you measure well but certainly just comfort and consistency you do it makes a huge difference regardless of of how else you feel about those things uh so i'm i'm looking forward to seeing that that's something i wish there was some more studies on because i know that we've seen like Marcus Simeon has improved a lot at shortstop because he gets to play next to Matt Chapman. Mm-hmm. Like, I would like to see more about how the infield system works together as a whole mm-hmm. and how different players bring different things out of each other. Yeah, it, it's tough to isolate, right? And that's sort yeah. of the big challenge is like, are it all these has guys to be get... more or less anecdotal? Right. Like, how, how do you measure whether these two guys are getting better defensively because they're playing together, or is it they're just getting to play together because they're, you know, for a long time because they're both good? Like, you right. know, which, which comes first? Is it just always going to be joint? Hard to say, but... But I do think there is, just because it is a system, like somebody, it's an interaction between two players when an mm-hmm. infield, you know, when you have a 4-3-1, a whatever, like, you have to know how what a guy's arm angle looks like and be able to adjust to that like Mm -hmm. oh he's throwing a little you know this this ball looks like it's gonna tail a little when it comes Mm -hmm. to me so i'm gonna go i think we saw that with uh shedlong trying to make a play on uh, a ball cal raleigh threw from behind the dish in another in i think it was yesterday's yeah, we're Jared, we're Kelnick stole. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think Cal put the ball where he wanted to put it, but it wasn't necessarily where Shedlong was primed up to take it. And like mm-hmm. those guys just have not had many reps together at all. Mm-hmm. Like Cal was in Modesto. I think we forget that Cal Raleigh was in Modesto for most of this year. I think some the broadcast said like, oh, Cal Raleigh and Art Warren, they, they were they've know each other well they were teammates for a long time no they weren't they were like two ships passing in the night at uh, arkansas so i think that's something that we're gonna see it's gonna look rough at times because those reps just aren't in place but that is another i didn't put it on my list but it is something i'm excited to see is starting to see the defense it the defense come together as a system as opposed to just individual players yeah, I actually credit goes to John here. I had just JP Crawford's defense as one of mine, so John's John's was more specific, which is good. But it's I mean we talked about most of the same things I was going to bring up anyway. Uh, I do think one uh, other interesting element is that you know he's we have Sheffield, Dunn, Kikuchi. The Mariners are all hoping that they become ground ball pitchers. Some of them are better at it already than others, but the goal would be for all of them to be mostly ground ball pitchers. Mm-hmm. And if you have a dynamite shortstop behind it and especially if you have a good double play combo i think that also you know obviously turns more batted balls into outs but also the non-quantifiable thing of a pitcher knowing that he has a good defense behind him makes him more confident same way if you have a catcher who you know can block the ball in the dirt you're more comfortable throwing the slider in the dirt sort of thing so i think that'll be interesting it's gonna be tough to monitor that obviously you'd have to get good questions from beat writers and stuff Mm -hmm. to talk about how 
you know, the effect of having a good defense will affect the pitcher's mental space. Mm. But we also got to remember, like, shortstop is really hard. Like, you got to be in it on every pitch and, like, always know what's going on. And I'm definitely not saying that J.P. Crawford is incapable of that. But, like, that is just such a huge ask of anyone to do it every single – like, to be a starting shortstop in Major League Baseball is – a huge task. And then also you have, you know, the complications of this weird season and also Perry Hill not physically being there in person. I wonder how that's going to affect yeah, these infielders who thing. are still sort of developing. Yeah. And something I'm pretty, I, I mean, again, with this baseball season, I feel like there's always going to be like a little note of sadness or note of something that's missing underneath. And definitely when you talk about JP Crawford and Shed Long, the note that is missing is Perry Hill because not only we've seen, not only does he influence these guys as a coach and as a, as players, but also as people, like they trust him and they feel like he treats them fairly, you know, uh, on the black voices in baseball panel, all the players involved, spoke well, not Kyle Lewis, he doesn't really know him, but they spoke at length about the influence Hill has had on them um, personally, as well as professionally. So I hope that their Zoom connection is strong. <laughs> Definitely. And, I mean, we all remember, like, the spectacular plays that JP made. Like, the throw against Detroit obviously comes to mind. But as nerdy as it is, like, the thing that I'm most excited to watch is how he handles, like, fairly routine plays. And just, like, seeing him fall into those rhythms of being an everyday player and just, like, those ground balls right at him becoming second nature yeah. and, like, having all of his footwork stuff down and, like, making good throws. I went back, John, and read your article that you wrote when they traded for Crawford mm-hmm. about all of his errors and how most of them were throwing errors. So that's another thing to kind of keep your eye on if, when you're watching at home. It's like he's pretty good at getting to the ball, and then you also have that classic thing that affects outfielders sometimes where it's like they'll give you an error on a ball where most people couldn't even get to it anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, like you get – you put in such a crazy effort and, like, make the play, and then you fuck up the throw and you get the air. Like, that's always tough. So I think I'm going to be excited to watch him handle that. Like, ball right at him. He's got to take one step, throw it. Maybe it's a decent runner. Like, just got to make a perfect throw. Like, that's the stuff that I hope that he can advance this year. And obviously he'll make a cool diving play every now and again too. But just those simple ones are going to be are going to be bigger than I think we realized for a developmental year during a pandemic. Yeah, we were so scarred. I feel scarred by watching some pretty inconsistent play at shortstop from the Mariners over the years. Segura was good, but he was also, I feel, uh, at times inconsistent. Mostly what I was worried about Segura on every play was him getting hurt because he was such, (laughs) he was so dramatic all the time about... Uh, you know, the tiniest tweak would happen and he would just be, like, calling for a field medic. Like, oh, my gosh, is this guy going to make it? So just developing that trust in that he's going to be – he's going to make all the routine plays and some of the spectacular ones. That's what I'm looking forward to watching out of Crawford this this season. Yeah. He'll certainly be closer to Brendan Ryan than, like, Brad Miller, <laughs> you know? Oh. Yeah. Speaking of scarring – yeah. Um, All right, Kate, hit us with your second okay, one. Okay, I'm going to stick with defense then. Um, I am excited to see a remake of my favorite highlight, maybe my favorite minor league highlight ever. Mariners minor league highlight. That's a big thing to say. I would have to consult my files. But... It's definitely my favorite Evan White highlight, and it's from when he was in Modesto in 2018. 
2018, yeah. Before they upgraded their cameras. So the camera looks like it. I mean, this looks like it was filmed with a potato covered in mayonnaise. Um, and it, Evan White, the shortstop, it's a tricky play. It's like a slow roller. The shortstop makes a play on it. He runs, fields the ball. He throws kind of wildly. It's like a foot or two over Evan White's head. And Evan White jumps up, gloves straight up in the air, comes down, does this like ballet spin to t- to tag the runner out, and it is so beautiful. I mean, it's just it looks like ballet. It it looks like art, um, but it's very hard to see because again, it's shot through a potato covered in mayonnaise, and it's very blurry. I mean, it feels like watching. I mean, kind of Edison's early film experiments, you know. Um, so I'm excited to see that play recreated at some point in high definition on my TV and I can watch it as many times as I want in just beautiful, crisp, clear definition. It's really, this is a fancy way of saying I'm excited to watch Evan White play defense at first base, but that is, I was trying to be specific. That is the very specific thing. I want to see Evan White leap up like a ballet dancer, four feet in the air, corral some ball that was headed to the stands and then come down and tag a runner out. Hell yeah. I'm excited for that too. First base defense is like a very specific kind of, of beauty because it's not very dynamic, I guess. It's mostly, I mean, most of your stuff is confined within like a five foot radius, you know? So it's like... It's more gonna, reactive gonna... than it is. I mean, you're reacting to a ball yeah. that's been thrown to you or batted at you in some way. Whereas with shortstop or third or even second you're creating part of that play with your throw yeah that's a good point do we know anything about his throwing ability like i know most first basemen have like pretty limited opportunities to throw the ball but he's got is a that like a, a weakness for him no okay they could put him in the outfield i mean there was talk there was almost i feel like an expectation that he was going to be converted to mm. an outfielder when he got to the majors but the mariners were like nope see this giant sinkhole next to first base with bodies strewn about it (laughs) we're gonna go ahead and and keep him here hopefully keep another body off the pile yeah he's he's got a what is he's got like sort of a side army throw a lot of times which makes sense for infield and for throwing from first base as a lefty but it's it's pretty strong and it's pretty accurate so yeah should be good for double play turning you know what I think will be fun, actually, is if Evan White saves Kyle Seeger from getting an error. I want to see that interaction as oh. they're jogging off the field oh, together. That's a good like, one. That, like, 12-year age gap. I don't know how much it actually is, but it's a substantial age gap. Like, Kyle, the old veteran, Evan, the new hotshot, like, watching them. Because Kyle Seeger is, like, he'll definitely joke around. Like, I feel like, especially during this season where, like, it's going to feel for the players like literally nobody is watching, even though it's still on TV. You know, I think we're going to see a lot of players go like one step below their usual like tightness. You know, I think it's going to be much more loosey-goosey, especially here when we're going to be out of the race pretty early, I think, given how much we're playing the yeah. A's, Astros, and Dodgers. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, I want to I see that. I want to see how Evan White fits in with, uh, with Kyle over there and his, his like weird salty dadness. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Mr. Troopin, let's get your your second pick for something you're excited to watch from the 2020 Seattle Mariners. Yeah, so I'm going to go to the starting rotation, uh, and I'm going to say that I'm excited to see uh, Justice Sheffield's pitch mix. Um, I have written about Sheffield a few times, hard not to, obviously, based on what this team, you know, has done in the last couple of years and how big of a, you know, centerpiece Sheffield was. I mean, he's still the centerpiece of the James Paxton trade. And uh, for Sheffield this spring, the big thing for him was changing his grip on his fastball uh, to be predominantly throwing a two-seam grip, which functionally for him... Because he already throws with really low spin, the ball sinks more than the average pitch of that speed with a two-seam grip, and because he is able to get it to move, pitch moves even more, so he's able to really exaggerate that sort of sinking movement on the pitch and get a ostensibly a, a really tough pitch to square up, um, and then saving his four-seam for more exclusively using it up out of the zone on occasion, um, which I think is is fantastic, and and he has this really fabulous slider that can make left-handers absolutely miserable and can really put a hurting on righties too. Um, and his changeup has looked much more like all right. This is a this is a reasonable pitch. This is a pitch that you can throw. Uh, you know. 10 times a game out of 9,500 pitches and it's a, you know, maybe 15 times and, and it'll, it'll work enough. Um, and that's, I mean, that's, we're, we're sort of at that point for Sheffield where it's like, all right, you're going to start every game this year that, that you, you know, every time through the rotation, probably going to do the same next year, but especially this year, him showing that he can go, struggle, adjust, succeed, and, and mix, mix those pitches up uh, enough that he can get through five to seven innings ultimately and not labor through five innings uh, trying to be too fine. But, I mean, that would be immensely exciting if Sheffield can be uh, an, an actual, you know, a, a solid starter for Seattle and, and would make me feel significantly better about where the where the team is headed uh and and sort of the rest of the things coalescing because it takes a ton of pressure off of logan gilbert george kirby Juan Ten, uh brandon williamson isaiah campbell you know it takes tons of pressure off these guys and takes pressure off of the club to you you know focus in free agency on adding multiple starting pitchers at whatever point you know down the line and instead lets them focus on okay we need you know an extra infielder okay we need an extra catcher whatever um 
and that. John, what know, have your uh, what have your impression been of Sheffield so far this camp? Really good. I mean, very much uh, what I was hoping to see as much as you can. Uh, you know, we obviously don't really have the velo numbers, but we, you know, when you when you hear it from the from the team or from you know the beat reporters um, that he's in the low nineties pretty comfortably. Um, you know, he's had a lot of bat missing stuff and you know the Mariners don't have a particularly good lineup so that's not you know necessarily the most impressive thing but you know it's it is it's been him getting strikeouts on good pitches and it's been him uh getting ahead in counts in a way that I mean Kate you and I watched a lot of those Arkansas games and we watched some of those Tacoma games and you know I mean Matthew you you we we all watched him in in Seattle once he came up, and there were a lot of times where he just was working behind a lot. Yeah, and that I mean, every pitching coach will just say like, you gotta get you gotta get the first yep. strikes, and the Mariners are huge on you know you gotta get the first strike. The, first, the most important strike is the first one. You, you know, gotta dominate the you zone. Gotta dominate yeah, the zone. not yeah. control the zone anymore. Yeah, Pete, Pete Carroll would be very upset. The, the it's it's some big you win you win the game in the first quarter energy, but uh, <laughs> but I mean it makes a huge difference to to put the you know the numbers are staggering on what it what the outcomes are when you start a count ahead versus or start an at bat ahead versus behind, uh, and and. Sheffield has been executing on that much better uh, and looks, you know, just looks more comfortable has, has seemed uh, like he has gotten a sense of, okay, this is what I can do to be my best self Uh, in, 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 in in terms of what pitches he can utilize to get the most out of his stuff. I think too, he had a rough, like, you know, hot top draft pick, uh, in one of the most challenging media markets, I think that there is um, a lot of prospect fatigue, a lot of not so flattering things written about him. High profile trade came over in return for, you know, I think somebody was looking pretty much like a bona fide ace for Seattle. Um, it was a lot of pressure, and I think just having a year to kind of grow into himself, grow into West Coast justice, which I think is a much better fit for him than East Coast justice. If you've seen that mustache, you know what I'm talking about. Like, mm-hmm. there's just, a yeah, there's a video of him. Uh, Isabel actually, Isabel showed this to me, but there's a video of him. I think there's it's like one of the Mariners All Access segments, but it's like him calling Randy Johnson. Like it's a one-sided conversation, but it's like him calling Randy Johnson and asking for tips, and like there's Randy Johnson is not actually on the line, which makes it a little bit confusing. But it is very entertaining because it's clearly just Justice vamping on like what he would ask Randy Johnson about. Mm. It's quite it's quite entertaining, but I I don't know. There is something huh. about watching him pitch that is immensely satisfying to me i think it i'm just a sucker for pitches that drop really sharply and everything he throws it starts it it, it ends up but yeah it's heavy i mean it ends you know nearly a foot lower at least than it than it starts out and it's it's really cool um so i'm looking forward to watching him quite a bit that's what i was gonna say john you mentioned a good point like it is kind of hard to get a gauge of how 
anyone on the Mariners is looking because they're playing the other Mariners. But yeah. what I saw from Sheffield in whatever game I watched where he was pitching was that like the shape of his pitches looked pretty good, which like that mm-hmm. will obviously translate if he can just continue, you know, the motion and continue throwing that pitch. Like people will hit it occasionally, but if the shape is there, that's a great place to start. And he threw one back foot slider to a righty I think it was Braden Bishop that was just like truly unhittable like one of those pitches that makes you wonder how anyone ever hits major league pitching and that was very encouraging to see because that was one of the early intra-squad games too so you have to think he'll only get if not better he'll definitely get more comfortable and we'll see what the results of that are I think Justice another thing that's going to be interesting to watch is like how he fares against the Astros and the Dodgers versus how he fares against the Rangers, you know what I mean? Because those are like going to be yeah. pretty different. Unfortunately, there's not like a true cupcake in this division. The Mariners kind of are that, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like it's we're going to get a lot of chances to like throw the kids to the wolves because we just <laughs> play we play so many good teams so often. Yeah. So like he's going to see Trout and Otani and Rendon, and then the next series he's going to see Bregman and Springer and Altuve. Like it's just going to be nonstop, and I think that'll be in a season where like we can't really expect much of anything. I think that's going to be pretty ideal um like gap year sort of thing like a testing ground for what he hopes to become later okay then let's go to my second pick uh no one's talked about this yet so this is good uh i am picking i am excited to watch kyle lewis's strikeout numbers because i think that will be (laughs) a huge thing a huge thing that separates him from being like a like a domingo santana honestly like if he strikes out a lot which he did last year. Last year, Lewis, and he only had 75 plate appearances, but he struck out in 29 of them, which is 38%. So, like, that would have led the league by a pretty significant margin last year. Domingo actually had the highest K rate of any qualified hitter. So, like, if Lewis keeps being, like, a a lot of strikeouts but a lot of hard contact, like Domingo Santana, Chris Davis, uh, Oakland Chris Davis, like, boomer bust slugger, that's fine. But I think we all hope that he could be more of, like, a – like uh, Chris Bryant, Nick Castellanos, who are like a little more well-rounded, but also do strike out a lot. Uh, I think the Mariners hope that he's much more of a well-rounded hitter, especially when you consider like their pretty clear um, like preference for being an athletic team now. Like they want to go first to third on singles and like steal bases and score from first on balls in the gap. And you can't score from balls on the gap if you don't hit the ball. So I think seeing Kyle Lewis just make contact a little more shorten up with two strikes. Like that's, I guess a tangible thing that I'm excited to watch is like, what does his two strike approach look like? Does the leg kick shorten? Does he have like a clear change in mindset when it's two strikes or is he still just swinging from his ankles every time and trying to hit the ball over the fence. That's going to be fascinating for me to watch because I think that'll also dictate where he can hit in the order. Like if he can be a little more contact based, that's probably the difference between hitting second or hitting like fifth or sixth, you know? So uh, I don't want him to be... He hit a single the other day, like a simple little opposite field single. And honestly, that... I mean, the homers are fun, but that that is what I want to see. Like I want to see some situational hitting, some like taking what the pitcher gives you and not trying to hit a home run every time. Right. And especially just after, you know, seeing so much of Mike Zanino for the past (laughs) five, six years, like it's very like, you know, the player is 
the one that like makes you fall for them, right? Like we all liked Meg Nino. I think we all like Kyle Lewis, but then when you see their their flaws so magnified, it's it's hard. And like I don't want that to repeat itself with Kyle Lewis. You know, I don't want him to have any like stretches where he goes 0 for 12 with 10 strikeouts sort of thing which you know given his profile right now is possible so I hope that this can be a year where he goes away from that a little bit like 38% is up there with like a Joey Gallo Miguel Sano like worst of the worst and that's what he was at during his shortened rookie season so like just get down under 30 you know be in that 27 percent range and i think we'll be i guess what i'll say is i'd much rather him strike out like 27 percent of the time and hit 20 homers than be up at 35 with 30 homers that's just me personally i think yeah it's a pretty significant war difference right you would hope yeah like just yeah like you said just situational hitting like doing the things that because the strikeout is just nothing, right? And we all know that like strikeouts are a part of the game now, but like even just hitting a ground ball to move a guy up one base or like, you know, runner on third less than two outs, like just hit it anywhere, dude. Like that's all that's all you need to do. And like that can be tough obviously, especially for Lewis's, you know, hit profile, but that's going to be I think a major key for him and for the team moving forward. Oh, by the way, so I looked up highest K rate in major league history. Uh, there's a guy named Jake Stahl who played from 1903 to 1913. <laughs> so, like, a legit career, a big sample size. And uh, according to Fangraphs, he struck out in 50% of his 3,845 oh, plate no. appearances. Yeah, some wow. king shit from Jake. Right, it's confusing because they don't have individual season numbers for back then, at least on Fangraphs, but they list his K rate at 50%, and he played for 10 years, which is amazing. That guy just hated to move. <laughs> I'm either going to hit it and jog, or I'm going to just turn around and go back to the dugout. Every day is batting practice. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right, Kate, give us uh, give us number three. Uh, okay, we're back to the rotation. Um, I'm excited to watch Justin Dunn moonwalking off the mound after he strikes someone out using his changeup. Nice. Uh, I mean, the changeup is definitely... A, I think the changeup is probably right now fated to be like a get-me-over pitch or a changeup eye-level pitch or whatever. Um so it doesn't have to be on the chain. I don't think that that's going to be a strikeout pitch. But with just that one additional pitch, I think that takes away a lot of the reliever risk that people have seen in him. If he can just get that p- pitch respectable, then the other ones are good enough that he can, I mean, he can survive as a starter. Uh, maybe not like a nine-inning starter, but it's it's a workable profile. Um, I enjoy Justin Dunn's swag a lot. You got to see it a lot in Arkansas where he was that much better than the rest of the competition. It disappeared a little in his brief cup of coffee in the bigs because he was, you know, struggling. Um, you see it coming back in the inter-squad games. There's a little bit of, like, trash talk, a little bit of uh, a little strut when he comes off the mound here and there. So that's what I want to see Justin Dunn play to the level of his talent and be able to like really kind of showcase his personality because I think he's one of the most fun players on the team. Just he has the personality, but he's also super smart and very analytical about the game. And uh, personality wise, he's one of my favorite players on the team. So 
I hope that Justin Dunn takes a star turn this year. Wow, that that just got bigger and bigger as it went along. Yeah, that was a a never expanding. No, No, but started off with a moonwalk. How did it end up like this? (laughs) Yeah, no. But you're right. I would love to see that against the Astros, too. Oh, my God, yes, please. Certain players are going to hold back more. I think, obviously, Justin Dunn is young. He doesn't have a lot of service time. He doesn't really probably have as much personal beef with the Astros as someone who's been in the league for longer, but... I hope that we get at least one. Where who was the guy? He struck out an Astro last year. Is one of their like their prospects? Tucker was that that guy's name? Kyle Tucker. Yeah. Remember he struck him out last year on like a disgusting pitch, and he looked very pleased with himself. <laughs> so I hope we can just get that again, but hopefully against Bregman. Yeah, yeah. I I think Dunn is is. I mean, much like Sheffield, like there, it's two guys who are getting their first full shot to really start in in earnest. But like, I I would love to see in that same vein, like that become almost a competition of like them going back and forth. Like, you know, I mean, it 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 is a lot to ask because they're going to have significant struggles. But like that sort of dynamic, like they're going to be starting back to back like there are going to be a lot of nights where it's like okay justice went out maybe he had a really good game justin dunn's gonna try and one-up him okay justice you know had a rough start dunn's got to pick him up you know stuff like that i mean you saw that even in the one inner squad where they were facing intra squad where they were facing each (laughs) other like dunn came out and had a really good inning after sheffield was a little shaky i might be mixing it up maybe it was Dunn. no uh, i think it went the one dunn got dingered off to start yes yeah. dunn was shaky and then sheffield was good and then dunn came out mm-hmm. and was dominant and then sheffield felt like... so you know that there's a lot of pride between the two of them i think and there's a lot of competition mm. yeah i want to see that dynamic at play as well well, I'm I'm torn on my on my final one here. I I will confess, but uh, I I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, something a little bit more vague, um, and that is I'm I'm looking forward to uh, sort of shining light games, uh, and for that for me is like we've had a few recent examples of down seasons. Um, you know, seasons where, look, things are not going to be good uh, in the win-loss column. That's just the way it's going to be. But, you know, whether it's sort of 2012, 2013, or, you know, eventually in 2019, you know, seasons where the guys who were supposed to be the next big thing had those, you know, bits and pieces. Even 2015 had this to, to some extent, you know, started to show okay, this is who they could be. Like, this is why they're worth being excited about. And, like, I I have, like, distinct memories of those games. I mean, like, obviously Kyle Lewis against the Reds last year. Like, yeah. that. that's what I'm thinking of. But, like, Taiwan Walker had a game, I think it was in, yeah, I believe it was 2015, where there was just, like, he just absolutely shredded the Astros, who I think were a wild card team that year. Um, had like 11 strikeouts um, in like six or seven innings. And it was just like, oh, yeah, like this isn't a perfect start. But wow, like I I get the enthusiasm. I get the hype. 
like Kikuchi against the Yankees. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean those sorts of games uh, where it's like, look, the ups and downs, the the sort of um, the full picture is really important for our efforts to prognosticate, to analyze, um, to sort of gauge. Well, is this really a good decision or not? Um, you know, whatnot. But those sort of statement games that you that that really stand out are are things that make otherwise rough seasons uh, really really memorable. So I'm you know I mean shed long hitting a ball damn near into the into the river in Pittsburgh last year like those those sorts of things. I'm excited to see that for more of these young guys. I'm excited to see that for Evan White. I'm excited to see that for Sheffield and Dunn. Um, you know, I'm excited to see more of those bits and pieces for, uh, you know, for Kyle Lewis and hopefully for Fraley or Braden Bishop or, you know, who, whoever that it is that gets a shot and, and sort of can hopefully run with it this year. Yeah, we're going to see a lot of firsts, which is always exciting. Like, the first, I mean, obviously, like, White will yeah. debut, but, you know, other things like that. Like, first time someone does X, like, it's going to be a lot mm-hmm. of milestones for these kids, and that's going to be yeah. so fun to watch. Because a lot of them are, like, very mm-hmm. personable, too. So I think we're going to see a lot of emoting on the field. Yeah, yeah. And, it, I mean, and, and it's very much, a, you know, you're playing for, you know, they're they're playing for each other in the sense that like all these guys have come up together and they've all pretty much been given the reins of look you're gonna be here and we're gonna we expect big things from you but it is also like you're playing for yourselves because welcome you know this is your first chance go for it you sort of have that a little bit of reckless abandon uh that that makes young players very entertaining and occasionally exasperating but off you know i i love seeing that sort of energy and enthusiasm and you know i hope we see shed long try to do you know a between the legs glove flip during games like he did in (laughs) practice the other day like i hope i hope we see that like absolutely beautiful like evan white uh you know leap catch flip down tag on a kyle seeger throw you know that would have been an error like you said earlier kate like all that stuff where it's like you know what I glimpses. remember, you know, the glimpses, those are, those are the things that, and, and we're going to have them whatever form they may come in. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to that. I had the word first exclamation point written right underneath that as like an alternative version for this. So I'm glad you said that, Matthew. Yeah, it's going to be great. I think just uh, the sort of, I mean, everything is going to be like contextualized by the virus and like how strange everything is going to be so i hope that like when evan white hits his first major league home run like i hope that the players in the dugout still bring that same energy they would if it was a packed stadium and i think they will right because like you said they all know each other they mostly are on the same minor league timeline like a lot of them Mm -hmm. have played together so i just i want to see like pure joy basically like i want that to be something that stands out in like the quietness of an empty stadium we just have 10 guys in the dugout going ape shit for their friend. Like that's going to be very cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Something, something I will say like, yes, the emptiness of the stadium is absolutely weird. And yes, all these guys are essentially among the best players in the entire world at this sport. Um, probably were on 
generally the best teams in their area or were on really select teams. It doesn't matter. Most of the games that all of these guys have played were not very heavily attended. There were probably a good deal of empty seats if there were seats, you know. So, like, you play a lot of you play a lot more baseball games, especially when you're a bunch of young guys that are ill attended or the you know the amount of fan noise is not super impactful now are they in cavernous gigantic stadiums where it's particularly (laughs) evident no that is different but you know i I do think that that is a good point it's like yes when we fans are experiencing baseball there's always a lot of people there but when the people who are playing it are experiencing baseball by and large there's not you know these are the the games that we see are sort of the outliers in the experience yeah absolutely that's a good point it kind of reminds me too of like when you were in when i was in high school and college they brought the freshmen out first like the freshmen had a day or two before all the upperclassmen showed up where it was like Mm -hmm. just you and so you could explore the campus in like a safe way before yeah. all these scary older people show <laughs> I up. And really like that analogy, Kate. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. that's very. So funny. this is just freshman orientation for most of the team. Um, they're getting to make T-Mobile Park theirs before a bunch of other scary upperclassmen yeah, come try yeah. to, before the Astros come and try to shove their heads in a toilet. Yeah. So the, they have midnight days. breakfast on Friday. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's good stuff. Cool. Okay. I'm going to get to my final pick. I'm excited that no one took this cause it's, uh, it's one that's near and dear to my heart. Actually. Uh, the number three thing that I'm excited to watch is which rando relief pitcher actually becomes useful. Uh, I've decided to name this the Lucas Litke award in honor of his 2012 season that came out of absolutely nowhere. Uh, the Mariners actually have a pretty rich history of this. I think last year we saw it with two guys, really, Austin Adams and Brandon Brennan being just way better than anyone expected. I mean, you can get on the list. I actually did earlier. James Pazos in 2018. We had Tony Zick in 2017. My boy Yoervis Medina in 2014. Someone is going to come out of this extremely uninspiring 2020 group and post like a 2-7 ERA with like 11 strikeouts per nine innings. I don't know who it's going to be because looking at their names, you're like, don't know if that's possible. (laughs) But I just think that the way that bullpens go, like someone's arm is going to stop working, right? And they're going to have the worst season of their life, unfortunately. And then someone else is going to go the opposite direction and have the best season ever. And I'm just excited to see how that happens. I think bullpens are always the thing where you start with one plan and end up completely on the other end of the spectrum. Like even for good teams, I remember reading some stat about like how rare it is for a team's opening day closer to actually make the final out in the World Series. Like usually the guy who's getting the last out of the World Series is like a starter who they put in the bullpen for the playoffs or like is you know, mm-hmm. coming like doing the Chris Sale thing where you're just coming in to close the mm-hmm. door or like it's someone who takes over the closer role mid season. So even with the teams who have their shit figured out, like they usually figure out the bullpen last. And I'm really excited to see how the Mariners do this because A, it's a lot of guys who like don't have any experience at all. And then you also have the like recovery guys like Adams, Carl Edwards Jr. is a very interesting bounce back candidate. And like I just really think that one of them is gonna pop just because that's how 
bullpens tend to work out, and especially for the Mariners for whatever reason, just guys that literally no other fan base has ever paid attention to becomes like a very good reliever. I personally hope that it's either Nestor Cortez, who has like 9,000 different windups, and that's just very fun to watch. Or Art Warren, who has slogged through the Mariners minor league system and like deserves it. You know, yeah, I was gonna say deserves it. They all deserve, you know, good things if they're actually being nice people off the field and all that. But Art Warren, especially, I feel like just give him give him one good coronavirus season. You know, that's all we ask yeah. for. Uh, I like Austin Adams as a as the because I think he's the closest. I think he's the likeliest to to pop. I mean, his stuff is just so good and. He's really spent a lot of time refining it. And people love him. He's a nice guy, too. Like, he, I see him leaving comments on, like, A-ball kids that he pitched with in rehabs, Instagrams. Like, they put up their bullpen or whatever. And he's, like, looking great. You know, funnier than that, he's actually a pretty funny guy. So, uh, yeah, I want I want good things for Austin Adams, who has a World Series ring, it should be pointed out. And hilariously po- posted about that because he was with the Nationals for all of, like, two innings in 2019 oh that's right he was like not a bad payday for two (laughs) innings of work yeah that's an incredible gig honestly getting the the world series ring for not doing a whole lot is the dream second only to to jed lowry getting paid i think 13,000 13 million dollars per plate appearance or something 13,000 per plate appearance i think it might be that also sounds tight. Brody, if you're listening, <laughs> I will do that. <laughs> I will I will show up to Mets camp, immediately get injured, and then cash the checks for the rest of the year. If you need someone to fill that role, <laughs> I am available. <laughs> oh, man. Who else? I mean, I'm, I have the, the, the 40-man roster in front of me, and, like, the bullpen really is just... A, a gorgeous crew of weirdos. I mean, we have some guys who were here last year, like Gilbo is still here. Dan Altavilla, who is like the elder statesman of the whole pitching staff. Yeah, like 27. <laughs> yeah. They don't have, besides uh, Hirano and Matt McGill, who was born in 1989, those are the only two who were not born in the 90s. Everyone else is a 90s child through and through. The youngest one, I think, is Harrison. Or no, there's got to be someone younger than him. How old is Sheffield? Oh no, uh, Magavicious is born in 1996. He's the he's the baby of the bunch, surprisingly. Margavicious. Margavicious. No. Margavicious. <laughs> no, I refuse. <laughs> slender, yeah, slender Marge. Uh, <laughs> he does look like. I think it should just be like a Henry Rowan Garner thing, where we say it different every time all year. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, who would notice, honestly? Um, we have to add Brian Shaw to that list as well. Of course. Who the Mariners signed inexplicably, but, or are signing. It's going to be weird. Yeah. It would be great if he could just teach someone something, I guess. Like if he could just be like a, that could be his role, you know, like teach guys cool grips on cutters and sliders, teach them how to extreme air quotes, be a professional, like all that. Do do the Joaquin. I don't really want to see a pitch. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah. be be the Joaquin Benoit, where you barely pitch and are not very good, but do teach a different player to be just like <laughs> one of their absolutely <laughs> insane. Just yes. yeah, yeah. Have yeah. who's the who's the like Joaquin Benoit to Edwin Diaz equivalent here? Like 
teach Eric Swanson to throw something that know, is not uh, the Joey straightest, Gerber, like most Art ineffectual Warren, off-speed Warren pitch. Younger like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I will. I will take any of. There's those really options. not a lot of choices here. Yeah. <laughs> It's gonna be interesting. Yeah. I think we've all talked about it too, uh, and I was gonna, I'm gonna write about it for like a, sh- a strengths and weaknesses piece. But I think like we're gonna see just so many games where the bullpen blows it, and that's okay. Yes. you know, like that's for a loss. We're that's rooting the best possible for that. Ideal. Yeah, so, exactly. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Okay. Wait. Speaking of players teaching other players things, we can pivot to our Twitter questions. Um, one of them is about. From uh, at Real Zach Mason, uh, he said, of the 59 former Mariners on the Brewers 60-man roster, who has the best 2020? And I bring this up now because, Kate, <laughs> you've been sort of cowering in fear at the idea that Ben Gamble could become Christian Yelich this season. Not cowering so. in fear. Just like I could very easily. He's changed his swing to mirror Yelich's. He's been lighting up Brewers camp. And I'm like, oh, God, is this going to be the next, like, Cattell Marte? Chris Taylor, like a guy who goes someplace else and figures it out, and then the fan base whines about it forever. So that's the thing. I'm cowering in fear for my mentions more than anything else. This is uh, sorry. I do think he'll be good. Go ahead. I just I like I knew they had a lot of former Mariners on the roster, and like I had that in my in my head, and I had a lot of them you know, sort of well locked in. And I'm just going through it again now. I mean, it is astonishing how many former Mariners they have. Like, it has to... It is, I think, you know, Zach joked, it is at least uh, 10 of their 60-player pool players. I think maybe more than that. Uh, it, it might be close to 15. Um and like could very easily be a third of their starting lineup or more on any given day. Like they could probably run out six at some point. Um, yeah. Holy smokes. I mean, why, why do you have this like has to be intentional. If you're picking up Justin Grimm and Mike Morin, like this is, this is a, this is a bit, uh, like Keon Broxton is there for no, for no purpose. And David Phelps, oh, yeah. <laughs> what, like, <laughs> I think this is, like their entire all, bench. That, I, I think that a lot of that speaks to uh, how quickly the Mariners churned players over the past three years. Well, I hear what you're saying. I my like lasting memory of Keon Broxton as a Mariner is when I was constructing a piece about uh, the Mariners pitching and found how just how bad Tommy Malone was, and watching Tommy Malone. Orioles opening day starter throw an <laughs> yes. 80, 85 mile per hour fastball that former Mariner Mike Ford hit basically off the Hit It Here Cafe and watched every single component of the entire play move in slow motion except for very good faith effort by Keon Broxton like booking <laughs> it after the ball and like kind of jumping at the fence even though it was about 15 rows up like yeah God love you. I want nothing but the best for Keon Broxton, who probably will not play on this club. But uh, I think yeah, Lomo has a good like year. It, has to, it, it feels like it has to be intentional in some way. I mean, even though it is just the Brewers need a lot of players because they don't have a minor league system, which is very <laughs> similar to what the Mariners were doing when they didn't really mm-hmm. have 
they had a lot of young guys, but they didn't really have a minor league system to prop mm-hmm. up their supposedly major league. I mean, there's a really good argument that the 2020 Brewers are the 2018 Mariners, which is uh, bad news for mm-hmm. them. Sorry about it, guys. Yeah. Yeah, don't watch the end of that. Movie. <laughs> just enjoy that. <laughs> Maybe check out around halfway through yeah. and just assume that you guys went to the playoffs yeah. because... Uh, nothing broke me like 2018. Oh boy, still broken. Still trust issues from mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, if it's not clear, my answer is definitely Ben Gamble because uh, it does sound like he's he's retooled his swing, and I'll be I like Ben Gamble, uh, oh, yeah. so I'll be I'll be excited to root for him. Uh, I'm yeah, that's probably the right answer. Although I don't know how much he's gonna play, right? Because they have. Yelich and Kane. Yeah. So I guess there's one outfield spot available for Ben Gamble slash whoever else is on the brew. I mean, Ryan Braun is still there. I don't know if he can still play outfield. They they have the blessings of the DH. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they have the DH. Yeah. So it's him and Avisail Garcia maybe platooning, um, which is a wild, pretty much the most disparate two like player <laughs> profiles um, that you could yeah. you could construct and really like human frames um, but yeah no it should be it should be good stuff um, yeah cool let's end with the uh, the seat fleet then we have a question about it from David Newland at CFANTX thank you David uh, David just asked what are your personal views of the seat fleet and will you be participating so this is the thing where you can essentially put yourself in the stadium without being there. Is that correct? Is that what seat fleet is? Where you have the cutout? Or am I thinking of something different? Yeah, that's the cutout thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I am not going to participate in it, but I do think it's a cool idea. I especially like the thing where if the the ball hits you, they'll mail it to you. I think that's like a very cool way to work around the... like. Oh, you know, the, a huge part of people going to the stadium, especially if you have kids, is to, like, bring home a souvenir. And I think that trying to replicate that as best as they can is a very cool gesture by the Mariners and a lot of other teams who are doing it, too. Um, but I don't know. I don't I don't really want to, like, be watching a game at home and then be, like, squinting at the TV being like, is that is that me? Like, I don't wanna, that's going to be very strange, you know? Because I don't think you can decide where they put it, right? I don't know anything about this um, specifics-wise, but, like, it would just be very weird to me to, like, know that I'm there in a different form and, like, having that in the back of my mind while I'm watching the Mariners. I don't know. That just... Yeah, there are a lot of philosophical... I don't, I don't want tre- that. There are a lot of phys- philosophical treatises to be written about the <laughs> idea of sitting at home while also watching yourself on TV, like... No, no, I don't. I'm not up for the the Jungian analysis of the shadow self sitting in the 300 yeah. level. Um, I will say for people who have kids, I think that could be cool. Like kids would love that, I think. But me as a where I'm at in life, I don't, I don't need to see myself <laughs> in cardboard form. I mean, I feel like if I got one, the Zach Hampel cutout would just come and steal it from me. So. <laughs> Yeah, no matter what, there's going to be some person behind you or next to you in front of you who just insists on showing how much they know about the Mariners. And you're like, shut up! I don't care! Stop talking to me! <laughs> uh, um, Matthew, I'm going to pull a very rare editorial move. Um, a whoa. very rare power move. I'm going to overrule your choice of our final question. 
and instead okay. kick forward this question from Nick Fielden, um, which I really enjoyed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, if Shedlong's, yeah, I didn't have that on my screen. If Shedlong stole Kyle Lewis's socks, could he just wear shorts on the diamond? As a follow-up, which obviously the answer is yes. As a f- We don't even need to discuss it. As a follow-up, what is the most fun uniform combo you could create through Mariner's quirks? So that's that's the one that I would like to talk about. Yes. Apologies to Nick. I didn't, he like, his question wasn't on my screen when I was reading them. I had to scroll down, but yes, Nick, thank you. Great question. Um, so the first thing that came to mind for me, this doesn't exist yet, but I would love to see them just go for it. And people are going to hate this. I don't care. Wear teal pants. Let's get teal pants on the field (laughs) in 2020. Color rush jerseys. There is some, well, maybe I was thinking like, White with teal wouldn't be that terrible. You see this a lot in actually college softball. You'll have like a white top and then like they'll wear like for UW, they'll wear like purple pants. And Mm -hmm. it's like not that weird, you know, like it's essentially a baseball uniform. Like the Mariners could do it. Any team could do it. But for whatever reason, baseball is just so far up its own ass about uniform policies that it'll never happen. But I would love to see that. I think the navy blue jersey with teal pants could be kind of fun. People, again, would hate it, but I think might as well try it. I'm a big... uh, Well, I was going to say, I'm a huge fan of the, like, shorts with the, like, leggings, like the full Like the Hunter Pence? Probably. Or just the... Oh, no. You mean the actual, like... (laughs) basketball material shorts. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, yeah, that's a fine look. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, shorts of the whatever. The warm-ups. The warm-ups that they wear out on the field when Often they're just practicing. Yeah. 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 Like, basically, yeah, like, basically basketball shorts and then, like, the, like, sort of athletic, like, sort of spandex tight kind of thing underneath. Where, mm-hmm. like, cause, I believe it's called a performance tight. Yes. <laughs> Uh, well some of them in the intra-squad games have been wearing pants rolled up to their knee with performance exactly. tights underneath yes. it and then their socks I think it looks I think cool. it looks cool too and it's also just like as as someone who does not in generally enjoy attempting to do an athletic activity wearing like 1915 era pajama pants basically <laughs> like thick pajama pants like shorts are so much better to pitch in shorts are so much better to do basically any athletic activity in um and like the only issue that i would generally have would be i don't want to slide if i'm only wearing shorts so like if i can just wear the like basically sliding short material the performance tight as you so elegantly Mm -hmm. put it Mm -hmm. that's perfect like you you look more athletic you don't look absurd you would actually have it in a circumstance where oh like people could look like baseball players on a daily basis in some fashion instead of looking more ridiculous i would say wearing you know other than like the jersey top like you could wear i mean not like oh i'm gonna wear some baseball shorts but like i i think that is a something that i would hope we could see because there is precedent for teams wearing shorts i think a much sleeker more athletic like angling thing could absolutely mm-hmm. fly in the in in the modern uh modern sports age 
I would also say that one of my least favorite things about baseball is watching a player slide in to take a, ba- a base, stand up, and then immediately <laughs> roll over the waistband oh, of just his start shaking. and oh, then yeah. create a personal dirt shower. I find it yeah. aesthetically unpleasing. It's no good. I hate everything There's about a, it's it. It's no good. There's one, though, that comes to mind. I think we gift it or someone gift it where Mitch Hanniger was doing <laughs> that. And then, like, the base, the base coach was trying to talk to him. And he, like, looks up and, like, points at him. It was really funny. Yes. Sexy. I believe that's saved as sexyhanniger.gif in my, in my yeah. files. He knew what he was doing. Oh, for healthy. It's match. a wonder oh. your your video capture tools don't work at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think though, John, you bring up a good point. Like pitchers probably should be allowed to wear shorts. Yeah. Like there's no <laughs> there's no reason against it other than it's never been done before. Right. It, my point with the performance I guess besides tights, that white yeah. socks. My team performance point on the performance tights thing though with sliding is that it creates a better seal. So we will not be subjected to the gross dirt shower. That was all I wanted to say about that. So I don't know. Maybe that would work for pitchers as well. With the rosin, they always seem a little grimy by the end of a few innings. Yeah, I think it'd be cool. Well, cool is not the right word. It would be funny if a player actually like took their regular, you know, team issued baseball pants and just cut them like jort style. Because Hunter Pence. <laughs> Rolls his socks up so far that they like cover part of the pant. Like I think he gets his pants purposefully short, but then rolls his socks up even higher than that. And I, when I saw that, yeah. I was like, why doesn't he just ask the team for even shorter pants? So maybe there is a rule that like MLB can't give you pants that end above the knee. So then a player has to take it into their own hands and just cut it right before the game starts. And then you could have a little airflow too. You know, it wouldn't be as tight if you like cut it. And like with like a wide cut, you know what I mean? And you could have like kind of baggy shorts with some airflow and your socks pulled up high. Like, who cares? Why not do that? It's 2020, man. Go for it. Um, Jake I... Fraley would do that, I think. Oh, no, no, no. I don't think so. Um, I thought that the question was asking us to address specific Mariners players' uniform quirks. So I, like think it, the I think socks, it probably was, yes. The socks of Kyle Lewis, which... I would just like to take uh, all of the way Art Warren's pants fit, which is perfectly. Um, and that might be like more of a testament to Art Warren than just like the particular way he wears his pants. But they're like not super tight, but they're also not the baggy, like when Felix went out there kind of totally wearing pajamas. Art yeah. Warren's pants are perfect. And then he's got the high socks. And so I, I would just take the whole lower part of Art Warren as our basis for uniform quirks. And then maybe throw in Kyle Lewis's sock game and shoe game, to be honest. I think Kyle Lewis might have the best shoe game. Definitely, yeah. Those Kyle, the shoes that Kyle Lewis has been wearing, that are, I think they're, they're like white Jordans. I don't know what kind of Jordans. But the white ones with the teal swoosh are incredible. Every player should get a pair of those. Um, I think it'd be funny to see like shed long in Vogelbach's pants. You know that picture of uh, it was on the Brewers. It was like two guys fit in Jesus Aguilar's pants. <laughs> I want to see the Mariners try to do that. Uh, I think shed and Shendy. D Gordon maybe would be the yeah, both both playing second base <laughs> in Dan Vogelbach's pants. <laughs> That's what I want to see this year. Hey, we just figured out a way to get more playing time for D. I'm just. 
put each yeah. of them in one leg of Vol- Vogelback's pants and have like a two-headed monster at second base. Uh, also, perfect. I think that our, our theoretical outfit needs to have uh, Malik's Florida chain, which I used to hate and think was like a safety hazard, and now I greet it like an old friend when I see it. Go. Oh, that's Malik running around with that gigantic, ridiculously shaped thing around his neck. And uh, I think it's a nice nod to our Florida boys on the team. We have several. There's Vogelback, there's Malik's, there's... Jake Fraley, I think, counts as Florida. He lives in Florida. Um, Dylan Moore's Florida. So, yeah, I think I forgot about the Florida chain, but yeah, might as well give everyone a Florida chain. chain. Well, it's just been so long since I've seen baseball. You know, the Florida chain—it's an out of sight, out of mind sort of thing. Either that, or the gigantic gold angel that Julio wears around his neck that Jared Kelnick has claimed is a sculpture of him. <laughs> Maybe both of those layered together. I uh, I think yeah I think that is an excellent. I mean just honestly it could be useful like as with how many new people still you know still coming in. I guess it's less important now, but it could be like a chain that at least was like every individual player's various different home state. That's sort of a nice icebreaker. So instead of the Florida, <laughs> you know, Jared has a Wisconsin one. You know, JP has California. You know, they, they, these sort of things, they help it make it, you know. Although you don't want to encourage people getting too close. So, like, if we have anyone from, like, the Northeast or something, or or if there's someone from Colorado, you'd have to get close. Like, is that Colorado? Is that Wyoming? Uh, you, you know, you want to be careful about that. Yeah, it's a, it's a dangerous idea. Uh, also, continuing on our hypothetical baseball player, uh, I would guess I would give them the way Dan Vogelback wears his hat. Which is not mostly mostly not. not. (laughs) That hat is lashed to his head by only the most gossamer of strings. He is ready. No idea. He is ready for full time DH life. It is ready to be (laughs) helmets only. Helmets and headbands. (laughs) Oh yeah, the headband. The headbands are a good look as well. Yeah, Fraley's got some good headband game. No, but the problem is Fraley. I can't recognize Fraley now because his beard is shorn down and he wears the headband that like wraps all the way down so it's like the back of his hair is looks like it's black but it's just the headband. he looks smaller to me too i guess because he he did have a sickness right yeah. where he lost some weight uh yeah i actually have been mixing him up with like donnie walton and sam haggerty and the utility guys so sorry for that jake fraley Well, we got a, a really good-looking player. I will add uh, J.P. Crawford wears, like, a teal sleeve. I like that Ooh, a lot. Yeah. Uh, an arm he's been wearing sleeve. it yeah. with... Yeah. It looks kind of weird with the powder blue jersey, in my opinion, but with the Mariners' regular, like, regular season jerseys, I think it's a great look. I just... I mean, I've been very vocal about this. They need to do more with the teal and not just have white and navy blue dominate everything because that's a very boring color palette. But... So, yeah, we have we have a full... Dressed to the nines player here, or two players, I guess, because we're stuffing the <laughs> long into the fence. I guess we didn't do Jersey, but I have to say, D's been out there playing his like playing in the hoodie all the time because I suppose Seattle in the summer is cold to D. I don't know. Um, also, he and Kyle Lewis have taken the precautions of avoiding the coronavirus by I think just swaddling every available inch of skin possible. 
Um, but it makes me like, I like the hoodie look so much. I like seeing players play in hoodies. I, I know jerseys are important and it definitely makes identifying players a challenge when there's no name on their back, but I find it a nice visual break from the jerseys. I don't know. This is getting real close to Mark Canna territory <laughs> for me. I don't like where this is heading. If Mark Canna shows up <laughs> in the middle of August to Safeco With wearing the balaclava. The oh my god, I'm gonna rage. I mean the dream uh, is I hope he does just so yeah. I can witness that. Yeah. The dream is that he like one day just like shows up and then like he he's pulling it on and he's walking up to bat and he just pulls it on backwards and you just see Mark Canna <laughs> walk up with full fully face blocked out. Um yeah, I, I think we can make that happen. Yeah, you just gotta, or you just, we we need to get some. That that would be an excellent prank, actually. That I think we should try and get you. If we can get you a credential, Matthew, we can get you in the clubhouse oh there. My God. Sort of sew an extra flap over the other side of his balaclava, so it's just like a full head sock. Uh. Yeah, what if I tell Mark Canna that I'm from the Food Network and I want to talk to him about food? I think I'll be in there like talk swimwear. to him about yeah. his incredible, yeah. incredible special. What did he call it? Incredible sauce. It's the a sensory dip. Yeah. <laughs> Trader yeah. Joe's bonsai sauce with like some mayo. <laughs> yeah, for anyone who doesn't follow Mark Canna's social media, which great for you, but. Uh, he the A's. I think it was the, actually the Oakland A's account was like hyping up Mark Canna. This was like peak quarantine content in the middle of the shutdown. Uh, they were like, join us on Instagram Live or whatever as Mark Canna teaches you how to make his incredible sauce. And it was like Kate said, like two ingredients, and one of them is just a store bought pre made yes. sauce. It was so dumb. I was so mad when I saw that. Matthew has been waging a one-sided war against Mark Hanna for years. For now. One-sided for now. One-sided for now. That's true. Although I yeah, think... Debate me, Mark. <laughs> so it's it's always fun to get a new chapter in the rivalry. Yes. Based solely... Well, it started solely on the, the balaclava that he wore when it wasn't very cold. Um, so if if that continues during a season that will literally only take place during the summer, I will have no choice but to get even more upset. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, until that day comes, I don't know when we play the A's. I don't know when anything is going to happen during this year. I do know that on Friday, July 24th, that, yes, July 24th, yep. the Mariners and Houston Astros will begin the season. <laughs> We will be there along for the ride with you. Uh, I believe, actually, I signed up for the recap, so we'll be be back into the swing of things as normal lookout landing as possible. Um, thank you to everyone, like Kate said at the beginning, who stuck with us during oh, the strangest the period of times. all of our lives. Yeah. Oh, it was like oh, little house on tough. the. It was little house on the prairie when it's like the winter and they're eating like. I don't know, bits of their house or whatever to stay alive. <laughs> That's what creating that content during that time felt like. So thank you for sticking with us. Yeah, there's only so many ways you can manipulate like play index or like any sort of fan graph split to find something interesting. And I ran out of those pretty quickly. So then I kind of <laughs> just shut down the old writing part of my brain. But I'm really excited to recap. I'm excited for y'all 
to be reading them and talking to each other in the comments and complaining about the Mariners by probably the fourth inning of the first game. That'll that's like I know this joke has been driv- like driven <laughs> into the ground, but nature will be returning when the Mariners are down <laughs> six to one in the third inning, and they have three more games against the Astros. Yes, nature is healing. <laughs> Exactly. And then people are, when Mariners fans are like really in full throat about uh, fire, Dipoto, capital D, capital P, and uh, yeah. same old trashiners. Oh gosh, the trashiners. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm, that doesn't even make any sense. That one's really lazy. I've never like thought I would miss the belly aching of like a vast majority, like a vast majority of the fan base, but. It will be the one thing that truly makes me feel like we're back to normal. I I was going to say, one of my potential things I was actually looking forward to was being pissed about lineups. Like, being yeah. upset that, like, why are we not hitting somebody? Like, why are we not hitting Kyle Lewis higher? Like, why, you know, we need to move Malix down or something like that. Like, I, don't, I, I am stoked for frustration about something. Uh, you know, just a little bit of temporary frustration about something so relatively yeah. inconsequential makes makes it easier to be more consistently than invested. I think in other things that are more consequential. Yeah, we've been deprived of so many sensations for so long that it's easy to feel lost because you don't realize what you're missing. You know, like I I think that just having baseball that counts back on the TV will be huge. And then, like you said, those feelings that follow are going to be instrumental in making me kind of forget everything else that's going on. So looking forward to it. Looking forward to uh, doing it with y'all, both Kate, John, and everyone who listened. Uh, Keep your eye on the site because, like I said, we're back to normal. We'll have some preview stuff up before opening day. And then it's a sprint until September, hopefully, if we make it that far. So uh, thank you again, and until we talk to you the next time, goodbye. First they tell you that they love you, then they ask where you coming from, like you the only one feeling how you feeling. Then you lie just to make it sound appealing To him and her and even a family That you keep close just to blow the steam like Stanley You the one have to plunge in the back Praying people in the front don't figure where you at I get that